The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability advocacy and activism. I'm your advocate host, Valerie. And I'm your advocate host, Virginia. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. So, Valerie, we have a much-asked-for episode today. Uh, We're going to be talking about service animals, um, emotional support animals, difference between those. Um, And we're going to be talking to Dana Tranum again, who's been on a couple of our podcasts before. But before we jump in, let's check out Disability in the News. My name is Hannah, and I'm a disability rights advocate here at DRCD. Zoom is committed to continuing to improve accessibility features for disabled users. By the fall, there will be a new live transcription feature for all video calls. Currently, there are automatic closed captions available to meet host upon request. Zoom already also provides manual closed captioning, screen reader support, and several other accessibility features. As we know, manual closed captions can often sometimes be misconstrued or hard to understand. These improved features will definitely help disabled users All right, and welcome back to the podcast. Staff attorney Dana Trainum, who is uh, just your hero and mine. Um, She is back with us this week to talk about service animals. Um, Dana, to, to start us off, is this, are service animals an area that you usually work in here at DLCV? It hasn't been um, an area that I've worked a lot in, um, but I recently did some research so that I could update our fair housing page, and I really delved into the topic. It's it, it's so common for me to do this. I'll go to, to research one issue, and the next thing you know, five hours later, um, you know, I have delved into it way further than Um, I ever started out to do. And that's sort of what happened with service animals, um, assistance animals uh, um, as the more general term. So um, I wanted to come on and and share uh, what I learned. And it's very timely because something is going to change um, next week as far as assistance animals go. So we'll get into that later. And so I thought it was very timely to talk about this issue. So, uh, Dana, could you help me with this uh, question? So I've heard names for animals that assist people with disability, names such as service dogs, service animal, assistant animal, emotional support animal, therapy dog, and others. Are they all the same? No. And it's very important that we look at the language that we use when we're talking about assistance animals. So let's go down the list. When I talk about assistance animals, that's a very general term. Uh, I'm including all the different types of assistance that 
dogs may provide to people with disabilities that would include all of those things, um, all of those terms and phrases that you just mentioned. Um, the reason that we have different definitions and different terms is because laws that pertain to people with disabilities define things differently. So the main three laws that we have that deal with uh, service animals and assistance animals is the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Fair Housing Act, and then the rules and regulations um, that pertain to airline travel. And each one of them look at these animals differently. So the Americans with Disabilities Act has a very strict definition of a service dog. And I say service dog because the ADA says that a service animal is a dog who is specifically trained to um, provide a service or a, um, do a task for a person with a disability. The ADA changed a few years ago to make that very strict definition of a service animal, whereas it used to be pretty much open to other types of animals, but they've limited it to dogs. I, I will say they allow uh, service uh, miniature horses in very rare circumstances, but um, for the most part, the ADA only refers to dogs who are specifically trained to do something for a person with a disability. Um, if you look at the Fair Housing Act, it's much more broad. It's, it's, it's a broader definition of assistance animals. The Fair Housing Act, which obviously covers housing issues um, where we live, it says that um, they still, that law still recognizes things like emotional support animals and service animals that are animals other than dogs. So when I'm talking about service dog, I'm, I'm saying a very narrow definition of what that means under the Americans with Disabilities Act. When I'm talking about assistance animals or emotional support animals, that's the broader definition that you find within the Fair Housing Act. Now, the one um, that is changing is uh, the law that um, and the regulations and rules relating to airline travel. Up until now, up until next week, uh, they have had more of the fair housing type definition of assistance animals. So you could take emotional support animals um, on the plane and you could have service animals other than dogs. As of the 21st of this month, next week, they will adopt the ADA definition of service dog. So uh, I don't know if, if you guys have seen in the news over the last few years, the airline industry has really been struggling with emotional support animals, um, including Dexter, the support peacock. Um, they've had uh, someone came on with a full-size pig. Someone else came on with a turkey. Um, and some of these animals really are not trained, have were not trained animals. Um, they made mess on the, on the plane. They bit passengers and airline personnel. Um, so it really got to the point where it had become unruly. And so unfortunately what we're seeing now though is that the airline industry um, or the Department of Transportation that put out these rules has gone from one extreme to the other. Okay, so first they're allowing pretty much anything. And now they're going to the other extreme where they're only, they're saying only dogs. So um, there's a hope that there, that we can get to a middle ground somewhere because we know, I mean, I love to fly, 
but I know there are people that don't and it's very stressful and having an emotional support animal that is truly an emotional support animal on a plane could be very um, um, helpful to that person. And it may mean the difference between flying and not flying for that person. Um, some of the other um, terms, therapy dogs, disaster dogs, search and rescue dogs. I mean, they are assistance animals. They do um, assist people, um, sometimes people with disabilities, sometimes not um, in, in various situations. Um, they are not service animals. When you're talking about a service animal, you have to remember that animal is specifically trained to do a task or a service for a particular individual with a disability. Now a therapy dog could go into a children's hospital and see all kinds of, you know, a bunch of children. So that dog has been specifically trained, but not for an individual. So does that help or does that totally confuse the issue even more? I, I think that that helps. I think that that gives us sort of a good and broad basis of understanding. Forgive us if we, you know, start asking questions that have already been answered a little bit, but you know, that's, that's three laws and we have to synthesize a little bit. Yes. Um, so talking about, it sort of sounds like there are two categories that come up most often and those are service animals, which are like defined in this very clear way and emotional support animals, which are not why does the difference ultimately matter? The difference matters because um, it, it dictates where that animal can go. So if an individual with a disability has a service dog and that dog qualifies as a service dog and that individual qualifies as an individual with a disability, then that dog can go anywhere the individual goes. So anywhere that you know, is, is allowed public access. So into restaurants, into stores, uh, even if they clearly have a sign that says no dogs allowed. Um, so um, that's why that makes a difference. A person with disability can take an assistant animal on a plane or in, um, into a restaurant. Have there been any cases throughout the time where um, this has been challenged where they couldn't take it in and um, the individual um, had to challenge their um, ruling. Um, has there been any case over time or do you know of? So I'm going to go back and use the word service animal as opposed to assistance animal because remember only a service dog can go into a public place. Okay. Um, and so see terminology gets a little tricky. Um, so there have certainly been cases where individuals have been challenged about whether they can bring their service animal into a public place. Uh, we still see that at DLCV. We still get phone calls about that. Um, and people will use uh, things like, well, there's somebody else here who is allergic to dogs, so you can't bring your dog in. And um, we've seen that in school systems where people with children with disabilities have taken their service animal to school. And they're like, well, there's another kid in the classroom who has, who has an allergy, so the dog can't come. Or there's another child in the class who's afraid of dogs, and so the animal can't come. Uh, those cases are, by and large, um, uh, not successful. And on planes, for example, the rule says that um, the individual who needs the service animal takes priority over any other 
disability that would say the service animal can't be there, such as an allergy. So the airline has to give priority to the individual with a service dog and then somehow accommodate the individual with the allergy, whether that's to put them in another section of the plane, provide them a ticket to a, on another flight. Um, but that's not a reason to deny a service dog. So when you're looking under the, you know, the service dog definition, th there are a lot of rights that are protected for that animal and that individual with a disability to, to have that animal with them. Thanks, Dana. That's good to know. So, Dana, you've already you've already invoked, um, you know, my previous mascot of what, like 2015, Jeremy, the the emotional support peacock. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what his name was, but but you've you've seen those stories in the news. I've seen those stories in the news um, of you know people who very clearly were using animals other than um, dogs or miniature horses in rare events, which you know, are now kind of the only things that are being considered as emotional support animals. Um, with this being the case, with the, this new shift happening, you know, folks who had an animal that was being used for emotional support previously, what should they expect now that this law has changed? Well, emotional support animals now are only um, legally recognized and required to be recognized under the Fair Housing Act. So if you're looking at housing situations, um, now the Department of Transportation made it very clear that airlines can still allow emotional support animals. The difference is their rules no longer require the airline to allow it. So airlines can make their own rules that are less strict than the Department of Transportation rules. So that will be an airline by airline um, decision. I kind of think that most airlines will go along with the Department of Transportation definition, um, but I'm not sure. And so if someone has an emotional support animal and they're going to fly after January 21st, they may wanna look at different airlines to see if they have different rules for emotional support animals. Now, small animals that can fit in the cabin of a plane um, within the, in the, the, the passenger space are allowed on the plane, whether it's an emotional support animal or not. The issue is payment. So like, for example, I was looking and there's an airline that allows you know, me to take my small dog who can fit in a carrier. Um, Virginia, much like Stuart, Mimi could go on a plane, but you'd have to pay about $125 to allow that to happen. Whereas if Stuart were a service dog, um, there would be no fee. You'd be allowed to take Stuart on the plane and he'd be allowed to sit on your lap um, and um, provide the service that he provides for you at no cost, no extra cost. And so that's where things kind of got out of hand, I think on planes, um, because that's a significant cost when you're already looking at paying hundreds of dollars for your own ticket. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I am not in any way judging Dexter the peacock or, you know, the pig or, Dexter. you know, Dexter. Yes. And unfortunately, he has moved on. He has crossed the rainbow bridge. Oh, that's so um, sad. Yeah. But also Jeremy would be a good name for a peacock. It would be a good name for a peacock. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind if I ever get one. 
Um, you know, we all have different ways that we're comforted and I'm, and, and I'm not judging the person who had Dexter, you know, um, but you can imagine, you know, I'm a large woman and I sit in a plane seat and there ain't much room um, between me and the next person. Um, you add a peacock to that mix or a full-size pig. Um, you, you can imagine how um, that disrupts the um, flow of, of air travel. And so I think airlines and the Department of Transportation felt like they had to do something. Um, unfortunately, they, they went way to the other extreme. So, Also, just so this makes sense for listeners at home, dear listeners, Stuart is uh, my uh, nine-pound uh, chihuahua with a traumatic brain injury. We love him very much. He is the unofficial mascot of DLCV and is on all of our Zoom calls and is sort of my uh, podcast support animal, although he does not provide a service has not been trained in any way. Now, one thing that I wanna, I wanna mention, and um, this may come up in a question later, and I'm sorry if it does, but I just happened to think about it, and so I wanna mention it. So there's an emotional support animal classification, which we now know is only really recognized in fair housing law. But there's also something called a psychiatric service dog, and that, um, is a dog who has been specifically trained to provide a service for a person with a disability, in this case, a person with mental illness. So a psychiatric service dog, um, for example, could do things like recognize when a person is about to have a panic attack um, and calm that person down. They've been trained to do that. An emotional support animal doesn't have to be trained. They provide their service just by being who they are, not by being trained. But a psychiatric service dog is specifically trained to assist a person with mental illness. That is different from an emotional support animal. And that psychiatric service dog would be recognized under the Americans with Disabilities Act as a service dog. That is so good to know. Thank you, uh, Dana. Um, so um, I've seen service animals wearing signs or vests that says, please do not pet. Why can't I pet a service animal? Is there, is there always, is this always the case? And what if the service animal isn't wearing a sign? So if a service animal is wearing their vest, it means that they are on duty. They are on the job. And their job often requires them to be totally in tune with the, their handler, the person with a disability. They need to be totally, um, their attention needs to be totally on that person with a disability so that they can provide the service that they've been trained to provide. If we pet the dog, play with the dog, talk to the dog, um, then we are taking the attention away from the person with a disability and it could be disastrous. I mean, if that dog is trained to do something that is um, you know, very important for that person with a disability, uh, like provide mobility support um, and we take that animal's attention away from the individual. It could, you know, the individual could fall, the individual could become hurt. Um, when the vest is taken off, then um, the animal is off duty. The animal is on a break. Uh, we used to have um, uh, an employee in our agency who was blind and she had a guide dog named Glaze. 
And um, it was so great when, you know, she would remove Glaze's uh, vest. He had several breaks during the day and he knew. Um, and actually, I think Glaze was a female. I can't even remember. He or she knew um, that it was break time. And she would go ripping down the hall. And some of us had balls that we'd throw down the hall. And, and it was break time for us, too, because we could play with Glaze and, and pet her and everything. Um, but when that, that halter went back on, that, I mean, we didn't talk to Glaze. We didn't, um, you know, you don't give her treats. You don't pet her. You don't do any of that. Um, and I have to say, when I go to conferences with a lot of people with disabilities and there are service animals there, it's hard because <laughs> I'm a dog person and it's hard. You know, you can't, you, you really, you, you, you should not talk to them. You should not make any contact with them. Um, and you certainly should not touch them. Thank you for that bit of information, Diane. It's very helpful. Yeah, and I, I think you brought up um, some really good points. I think that people don't think about uh, a, a lot of people are aware that they probably shouldn't touch a service animal while it's working. I don't think a lot of people are aware that they shouldn't do the like, who's a good boy, who's a good boy, while that service animal is working, because they are, in fact, being a very good boy. But, um, you know, th there's a time and a place to let them know that. Um, I would just add, you know, while most dogs are trained, you know, with the vest on, vest off sort of mentality. It's probably always best to err on the side of um, the animal's owner uh, and always ask for permission before talking to or petting that animal because you just, you just never know. Is that vest at the laundromat? It's hard to say. Well, that's good. That's good practice for any animal. Um, you know, I teach my two-year-old that, you know, you don't touch anybody's dog without asking permission, um, but it's even more important for um, a service dog. You're right. Okay. If an individual has housing somewhere that requires a pet deposit, does someone with a service animal have to pay that fee? So for the most part, no, um, because a service animal is not a pet. So any rules that are for pets does not apply to a service dog or any type of assistance animal. The issue gets to be, and it goes beyond what we're talking about today because it gets into some legal stuff, is whether that housing provider is covered under and is obligated by the Fair Housing Act. And there are some exceptions. Some landlords are not obligated under the Fair Housing Act. But for the most part, if you're living in an apartment building um, and they have a pet deposit or um, they have a monthly pet fee, um, then you do not have to pay that if it's a service dog or an emotional support animal, as long as you have asked for that reasonable accommodation. Because that's what that is. To have a service animal or assistance animal of any sort, it is a reasonable accommodation um, to have the rules uh, waived on, on animals. So... Thank you. So I know you said apartment complexes. If we're talking about somebody who is leasing or renting from a private owner, or it's like, um, you know, a Craigslist situation where somebody just, you know, is renting out uh, the second half of their duplex or something. Um, do the laws still apply then in terms of 
you know, had deposits, um, denying someone access based on whether they have a service animal? So just like we said with planes, anybody can allow a service dog, allow an assistance animal, um, but in order to be protected by one of these laws, the individual has to be obligated by that law, um, meaning they don't meet one of the exceptions. And one of the exceptions is an individual that rents a private house. If they have, I think it's less than four, um, and they don't use a broker to advertise or rent their um, establishment, their home. Um, if it is a duplex and the owner lives on the other side, there are exceptions. And then that, that, um, those exceptions say that the landlord does not have to follow the um, Fair Housing Act rules, but they still could allow the animal. It just means that um, uh, the individual doesn't have federal law behind them. So it, it gets it gets a little confusing, and maybe we need to do a podcast on fair housing and and the the ins and outs of that. Um, but but that gets a little bit little bit astray of of what we're talking about today. So after someone has lived at a, at a residence and they've been diagnosed with depression or another mental illness, um, and the doctor requires them to have a service dog. Um, and the property under no circumstances allows animal. Uh, the landlord would say something like um, they would evict them if they brought an animal into the residence. Is this just cause to take this individual to court? Well, again, if, if the place, if the owner of the property is obligated under the Fair Housing Act, um, then they have to allow a service dog um, or an emotional support animal if it is requested um, as a reasonable accommodation by a person with a disability. So um, yes, that would be a good case to, um, can either take a case to court or you can file a fair housing complaint. Um, again, it sounds like we really need to do a podcast on fair housing. Um, but yeah, you could file a fair housing complaint or you could file a lawsuit on that because um, if they are in fact required to follow the Fair Housing Act. I would love to um, have a Fair Housing Act podcast done because I would love to mo find out more information about this. So hopefully someone is listening and they will come on yes. and answer these questions. Yes. Um, so Talking about um, service animals specifically that are uh, trained to do a specific service, a specific task. Um, first of all, how does the person with the disability prove that their prove is in heavy air quotes that their assistance animal is an assistance animal and like, should they have to? Does, does that come up? So there are online uh, companies now that you can pay a fee to, and they will send you a letter that says this an service animal is certified as a service animal. Uh, it's really not worth the paper that it's written on. Um, there is no certification requirement for service animals. Um, and from what I understand from these online companies, they just require you to fill out a questionnaire and, and you know, they don't require any proof that the animal has been trained or that you have a disability or anything like that. Um, 
So what is required under the ADA, if we're talking about a service dog, um, the animal has to be specifically trained. Doesn't mean it has to be trained by an organization. The, the dog can be trained by the individual uh, with a disability, it can be trained by a family member, it can be trained by anybody. But the dog has to be specifically trained to perform a task for that individual. So that's how it's different from an emotional support animal that doesn't necessarily have any training at all. Um, but a service dog does have to have some sort of training so that it can provide the task. So if the dog um, picks up items from the floor that the individual cannot pick up, that dog has to be trained to do that. Or if the dog opens the refrigerator door and you know, gets a bottle of water, the dog has to be trained in order to do that. And so that's the requirement is that the dog is specifically trained and that it provides a, a service or a task for the individual. And then the individual also has to have a disability in order to have a service dog uh, or an emotional support animal. And the requirements or quote unquote proof for that uh, varies depending on the situation. All the laws say that if an individual has a visible and obvious disability, then no more proof is needed. So if the individual is you know, using a wheelchair for mobility, they're obviously blind or deaf or anything that we can physically see, um, then they don't have to provide any other proof of disability. However, if the disability is not obvious, it's not visible, um, then they have to show proof of disability but that they don't have to disclose their diagnosis. They don't have to disclose their medical records. It can be a simple sentence from a doctor on the doctor's letterhead. Dana has a disability and because of this disability, she needs her service animal. Um, the uh, property owner or the, or the establishment owner can ask what task that animal um, uh, provides for the individual. Um, but they, they can't require certification because it's not required. So there is some proof there um, that has to be made at times, um, but it's not, it should not be so prohibitive that the individual uh, you know, can't meet that burden of proof. Um, it has been found in cases that receiving uh, SSI or SSDI um, uh, is proof enough that you have a disability because you have to have a disability in order to receive um, those government benefits. So. Oh, so many questions, so many questions. Okay, um, so finally, Dana, I would like to um, say thank you, first of all, before I answer this last question. Um, it has been tremendous having you on here. And can you um, let us know where listeners can find out more information on service and assistant animals? So we just added information on that um, on our webpage. Um, it's right now under the fair housing page under resources on dlcv.org. Go to resources and then fair housing. Uh, I think after this podcast and the other information that we have, we may actually be developing an assistance animal page under resources so that we could put all these things under one, um, one heading. You can also go to ada.gov. It has a page on assistance animals with frequently asked questions. You can also go to hudhud.gov. It also has information on service animals. Um, 
and I think that probably provides um, um, good information on that. And just know that the the um, Airline Access Act um, and the Department of Transportation rules follow the ADA from next week forward. Thank you so much, Dana, for your information, even though you're not an expert on this topic, but thank you so much for all the research you put into this. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you're you the guys. hero we need right now, and it's a pleasure as always. Thank you guys. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me again. And now, a DLCV highlight. Patrick is project manager and spends his days in an electric wheelchair. He recently got a new wheelchair, but it is so dead it was not getting through his door at his house very well. This meant his time in the community was very limited as it was so hard to get in and out. He could not go to the grocery store, see their friends, but most importantly, look their work. Patrick called DLCD to ask for our assistance in getting his wheelchair repaired. He said the company where the wheelchair came from was not returning his phone calls. DLCD contacted the company to ask about the wheelchair adjustments. The company agreed to meet with Patrick and assess the issue. After they met with Patrick, they agreed to replace his wheelchair. Now, because of one phone call to DLCD, Patrick can now news about his community and prepared to go to work with his own independence. Thank you yet again to Dana for being willing to come and talk to us about that. I think that the next couple months um, with the legal changes are going to be real interesting for the disability community. Um, we might we might further down the road have you know an update episode or something along those lines. And I truly think it's needed to find more about the service animals, especially in the in the housing um, in, in the housing part of this a whole umbrella. It'll be way more interesting to find out information on that. Yeah, it's just there, there's a lot of facets and it's really complicated. So as always, if anybody has any questions about that that stuff, or if anybody is facing a service animal denial issue. They are welcome to call uh, DLCV for assistance. Great to know. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. Or follow us on Twitter at Disability Law VA and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Virginia. And I'm Valerie. And this has been Rights Here, Rights Now.